All right, hey. So uh, tonight, for some of you maybe who uh, you're used to me preaching and stuff like that, tonight might be a little bit different than usual. Uh, tonight is going to be a little less preachy and a little bit more, and a little more teachy, if that makes sense. All right, so uh, a little bit less preaching and a little bit more teaching, uh, because I think that what we're going to talk about is incredibly important tonight. Uh, last week, Brandon uh, gave, uh, opened up this. Really, we're kind of ending a series called Trending, and the last section of uh, Trending. By the way, if you could, if you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter one. Galatians chapter 1. Sorry, as I'm talking to you, you can do that. Uh, and if you need, there's Bibles in the back of the pews in front of you. So uh, uh, so the last uh, part of this series, we are talking about something called progressive Christianity. And Brandon kind of began our conversation on progressive Christianity last week. And uh, for the past, I'd say, ever since staycation, so almost a month, well, no, yeah, a month by now, uh, I have been studying progressive Christianity uh, more than I can possibly wrap my mind around. Uh, I have listened to more progressive Christian podcasts and videos and, and everything, not only people who are criticizing it, but also from the progressive Christian standpoint. And the reason I say that is because some of you may not necessarily like identify yourself as progressive Christian, uh, but I would say that some of you, maybe your theology aligns with progressive Christianity, or there's also people who say that they're progressive Christians that are not actually progressive Christians. Does that make sense? Like, you know, they say it because it sounds good, it sounds like the right thing to say, uh, but they, they don't really know, like, what specifically progressive Christians believe and teach and different things like that. Uh, so, and the reason I want, the reason that I, it's important that we go over this is because there used to be, like, you know, so if you read the New Testament, one thing that you'll see is the Apostle Paul, in pretty much every single epistle he writes, either indirectly or directly addresses false teaching, Right? Uh, he either indirectly or directly addresses false teaching in some way, right? And some of the times you don't recognize him addressing the false teaching, but if you know what false teachings were prevalent in that time, then you know, like, when he says something, like, you know exactly what he's addressing. Like, you, just, you know, okay, like, he's addressing this because at that time this was going on, right? So why do I say all that? Because... Some of the most dangerous, like, sorry, some of the most dangerous false teachings are the ones that sound the most right. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, the ones that sound the most correct are the ones that are the most dangerous, right? So, like, if poison, like, if I gave you a glass of poison, and it was like, like, like in the Disney movies, you know what I'm trying to say? Like in the Disney movies where it's like, you know, green and it's got like this, like, like smoke coming from it. Like, I don't even know, like, like like liquid smokes, I don't know, but it does, right? And it's just like, it's just, it just looks, and it's usually in like a cup that has like a skull on it. Like, who in their right mind would drink that in the first place? But anyways, beside the point, right? Like that, like, okay, like, I'm not getting anywhere near that. Why? Because it's clearly poison. However, if I give you just a glass of clear liquid, clear liquid, maybe it's even refrigerated, mm, right? And it's like, oh, okay, you know, there's no smell to it. Doesn't smell bad. It just looks like water. And I get, that's the one that's the most dangerous. Why? Because that's the one that you don't know it's poison until you've drinking it. You know what I'm trying to say? 
So when we're talking about progressive Christianity, what we're talking about is what I want us to do is I want us to understand, one, like, why, what, what is the main issue with it? And Brandon really addressed this last week. And the main issue with progressive Christianity is the lessening of the authority of Scripture. All right? There's a few words that I want to say tonight, okay, that I want to define off the bat. I want us to understand what these words mean. All right? I'm going to say the word doctrine. Okay? When I say doctrine, that is like teaching, right? So like, like theology, like what is our belief, okay? So like, like there is sound, good doctrine. What does that mean? It's good belief. It's, it aligns with the Bible, okay? Now, if I say false doctrine, then that's false teaching, right? There's another word I'm going to use, and it's called heresy, okay? What does heresy mean? Does anybody know what that means? Glad I'm defining it then. Does anyone know what heresy means? What's up? Boom. Perfect, right? So heresy is something that directly contradicts good doctrine, okay? So I'm going to use this word heresy a lot, and it's important for us to understand what that means, okay? I'm also going to uh, get into some other words, but I'll define those as we get to them, all right? So we talked about last week, and Brandon mentioned this idea of the authority of Scripture, right? That the Bible is the, for, for Protestant Christians, there is one source of ultimate authority, and that is the Bible, Right? We believe everything in the Bible. Everything in the Bible is authoritative. And what that means is everything in the Bible is inspired by God. And if it's inspired by God, then that, is, that means that it's inerrant, which means that there's no errors in it. And if, if that's the case, then when properly understood, it's infallible, which means that it is, imp- it is impossible for it to lead you to, excuse me, lead you to error. Does that make sense? So the Bible is inspired by God. There are no errors in it. It's inerrant. And when properly understood, it will not lead you to error, meaning that it is infallible. Why do I say that? Because progressive progressive Christianity, what it does is that it says that the Bible is not fully inerrant. That there are certain parts that that are authoritative and that there's other parts that aren't. And the reason that this is so dangerous is because now what you could do is you could pick apart the Bible to make it say what you want it to say. And as soon as you start to do that, you have a problem. And what the motivation behind this is because they come across things that don't necessarily line up with their theology, so what do they do? They find ways to say that it's not inerrant or it's not authoritative. Does that make sense? Right? So, like, I'll give you an example. When I was younger... Uh, and I lived at home, and I had my older sister. My older so some of you don't know I have an older sister, but I do. I have an older sister, and uh, this is before. Typically, this is before Faith and Brock were born. Uh, so uh, whenever something would happen, like my older sister would come to the room, and she would say, "Hey, mom said that you have to do this," and it's usually something I don't want to do, right? Usually, like me, me and my sister, we shared a PlayStation Two. Uh, and what would happen, like, one of us would be playing it, and it's like, she would come in and say, hey, mom said it's my turn to play on the PlayStation, okay? And what, usually my response was this, did mom actually say that? Right? Like, did mom actually say that, or are you just kind of wanting her to say that? Like, did mom really say that? And here's why this, and, and this is what this has to do with the Bible, right? Because if I can get it to say, all right, did God really say that? Because if not, why am I listening to it? Which sounds eerily similar to Genesis chapter 3 when the serpent comes to Eve and says, did God really say? Like, hmm, right? So progressive Christianity, something that we need to understand, is that it is filled with heresies, which are teachings that 
go directly against sound doctrine. Now, one thing also for us to understand that progressive Christianity, the general belief is that Christianity is, uh, by definition, is progressive. It's evolving with the times. Okay, so that Christianity is evolving with the times, it's inclusive, it's this, you know, it's, it's all these different things, and, and, and what happens is anything in the Bible that doesn't line up with that, we, we push it out the window, okay? Now, mind you, I've been studying this inside and out, so if, if you identify as progressive Christian and you say, that's not me, then you're not progressive, okay? So, just, just we're on the same page. All right, so progressive Christianity claims to be the true and enlightened version of Christianity, And Christianity, by definition, is progressive and evolving. The ironic part about this is that many of the beliefs of progressive Christianity are not new. They're actually ancient heresies that for 2,000 years the church has been refuting and has been proving as incorrect. So whenever someone says that they have a new revelation of true Christianity, chances are they don't have anything new. They just have something that's really, really old and they don't realize it. All right, so let me give you an example. I'm going to give you an example of four ancient heresies that are found within progressive Christianity. The first one is something called Pelagianism. Pelagianism, all right, was associated with the Irish monk Pelagius. All right, now please stay with me because some of you, this, there's a very big point where I'm going, okay? It may take a while to get there, but we have our thinking caps on tonight, and I have faith in you, okay? All right. So he believed, this is his belief, he believed that original sin was not transmitted from Adam and Eve to their children, thereby to us. So they don't believe that we are born sinners. They don't believe that original sin was passed down. So salvation and being born again are not considered necessary. And people can be, quote unquote, saved by their own efforts and their own good works. That is that they did not necessarily require grace from God. Many, this is not something that like, it sounds like something that is very popular today. Right? Like, it's not necessarily, all right, you know, Jesus didn't die for your sins. He died to, this is a progressive teaching, by the way. Uh, Jesus did not die for your sins. Jesus died as an example to you of how you should sacrifice yourself for other people. Okay, that's Pelagianism, all right? Ancient heresy number one. Boom. Ancient heresy number two, Nestorianism. Nestorianism, they believe that Jesus had two different natures. And a great movie on, on uh, progressive Christianity, by the way, is The American Gospel Part 2, uh, The American Gospel Christ Crucified. Okay, so like you could get it on Amazon or Apple, you know, movies or whatever, right? So, uh, so American Gospel Christ Crucified. All right, so they believe that Jesus had two separate natures, all right, Nestorians. And they believe that he had the man, there was man and God, which we believe, right? He was fully man, fully God. But the difference is that they believe that those two natures never intersected. They never, like, combined. So what that means is that there's times in the New Testament where Jesus is speaking as Jesus the man. And there's times in the New Testament where Jesus is speaking as the Christ, And what that means is that there's some times where Jesus is speaking with the authority of God, and there's other parts where he isn't. What does that mean? That means that the parts of Jesus' teachings that they don't like, they'll just say, oh, well, that was Jesus the man teaching. See the problem? So that's Nestorianism. Third is one that I talk about quite frequently, uh, and you probably already know what I'm about to say, Gnosticism. 
right? Gnostics believe that we can progress to an ultimate or pure form of spiritual, spiritual reality uh, by attaining secret knowledge. That's what Gnosticism means. It's secret knowledge, all right? So this way that's announced by a Savior sent by God, all right? Gnosticism is still around. It still exists in the traditions of alchemy and astrology. Uh, and also, if you, any of you are, like, studying psychology at all, uh, in the works of Carl Jung, Carl uh, Jung, Jung, whatever you want to say, right? So when Christianity hit the stage uh, in the first century, Gnosticism adapted to it quickly and, and began to promote itself as the higher and truer form of Christianity. Right? They have this secret knowledge, right? And this is the heresy that Paul addresses most of the time in his uh, epistles, all right, so part of what the Gnostics believes that there's, there's, there's a lot, and I'm not going to get into all of it, but basically they believe that we all have this basic human flaw of pride, and how we overcome this is that there is a Savior who brings us a secret knowledge that is not known to most. We have to pursue this secret knowledge to restore ourselves back to the God, the, 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 uh, the divine nature that we once had, Okay. So those are three, so three ancient heresies. Now, if we combine them, this is, the, this is the belief system that we have. If we combine them, it says, this is what we believe. We are not born with original sin, and because of that, there's no need for God's grace. Rather, eternity is attainable by living a good life and being a good person. Jesus, the man, and Jesus, the Christ, are two separate beings, so there are times that Jesus speaks in the Gospels, but he is not speaking with the authority of the Christ. Therefore, not everything that Jesus says is authoritative. Third, there is a higher version of Christianity that, unbeknownst to many, is a truer form of Christianity. And, we, and if we pursue this hidden knowledge, we can restore ourselves back to the divine status that we once had with God. That is progressive Christianity. And all I did was just bring up three different heresies over the past 2,000 years. And I combined them into a little, like, nasty lasagna for you. And it's exactly what's being taught today. So what's so ironic is that progressive Christianity is not progressive. It's regressive. It's old stuff that's been proven to be false. So like, oh, I have this new thing. No, you don't. Now, all of these beliefs, and, not, and many, many more, are easily refuted with a basic understanding of the Bible. And I don't say that to make you feel bad, but I say this to say that if we know our Bibles, we can easily go through these and say, why that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. However, when we remove the inspiration, the infallibility, and the inerrancy of the Bible, if we remove the authority of the Bible, then we're free to ignore those passages. We can just ignore them. And we can redefine the Bible to be whatever we want it to be. So all of these heresies and many, many other, they, they come from biblical illiteracy and a lessening of the Bible's authority. So how does, how does the church respond to this, right? These heresies have been coming up through for, for, for 2,000 years. And in the early church, remember, when Jesus ascended uh, to the Father and the disciples were in the upper room, there was 120 Christians in the upper room. Think about that. that there, at that time... There were 120 Christians in the world, and all of them were in one room. Think about that. Every Christian in the world was in one room on the day of Pentecost. So they were there, 
they're all gathered together. And so if you think about it, like these false teachings that were coming up, some, and some of the false teachings against the early church were crazy, right? They were claiming that uh, Christians were um, uh, cannibals because they believed that they had to eat the body and the blood of Jesus. So there's people who claimed that Christians were cannibals. There were all these false teachings, all these crazy things that people were believing. If you read the book of Galatians, if you read the book of Galatians, Paul actually addresses this. Galatians chapter 1. So Paul takes the gospel to the church in Galatia. And what happens is there's these people who creep in called Judaizers. And what they're doing is saying, okay, yeah, you have God's grace, but you have to keep these Jewish laws. You have to, and one thing that they talk about was circumcision. You had to keep this. So, yes, God's grace, but you have to do all these works to make sure that you get his grace, which is not the gospel. And when Paul hears this, he goes crazy, okay? So, verse 6, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preached to you, let him be accursed, or also meaning damned. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. For I am, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul is vehemently having to come against these false teachings. Adamantly coming against these false teachings. So how did the church do this? Now, this is where it gets fun. And the reason, some of you are like, why are you teaching all this? Because here's the thing. I am tired. I'm just going to be real with you. I'm sick and tired of seeing young people led astray. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. And here's the thing. They're being led astray by crappy arguments. They're not even good arguments. They're not even good arguments. So part of the reason that people are easily led astray is because they don't know how to answer. They don't know how to answer. So for many years, in order to combat heresies and clarify what the church believed, the church would regularly convene or gather in something called councils. Something called councils. There's an example of this in the book of Acts called the Jerusalem Council or the Council of Jerusalem. Then there's other councils throughout church history. One is uh, a very, very popular one is the Council of Nicaea. There's many others. And from these councils, the early church would solidify and clarify what they believed about certain doctrines. So whenever a heresy would come up that would contradict a doctrine of the church, what would the church do? It would gather together and clarify what they believe. And this happened early, early, this happened all the time within the early beginnings of the church. These creeds do not take the place of the Bible. These creeds do not take the place of the Bible. However, these creeds are proclamations that are based on the Bible. Okay, so let me give it to you this way. All right, so you have... The Bible, right? Everybody say, ooh. Everybody say, ah. 
Yeah. All right. So here's what you have. You have, you had early on, what you had have is, you have, and this is true today. This happens today, right? So you have people who are hearing the Bible, and what they're doing is from the Bible, they're going in all these different directions. Right? And some people who are like so, so a lot of atheists or agnostics, one way that they try to say that Christianity is not true, they say, if Christianity really is true, then why do so many Christians disagree? I'm sure a lot of you have heard this. If Christianity really was true, then why do all the Christians disagree on different things? I'm going to explain. So the Bible, they would all, through different interpretations, blah, 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 would go off in these different directions. So what does the church do? The church has... Based off of creeds, they introduce these things called creeds. That's very poor handwriting, okay? But you get it. Creeds and statements of faith. Right? Statements. You get it, right? Statements of faith to clarify what the church believes. Now, just so you know, these aren't, these aren't like, you know, statements of faith that are coming from like, you know, you know, 1,500 years later, these are statements of faith that are coming from, like, like the disciples of the disciples. The earliest creed that we have is what's known as the Apostles' Creed, which many historians believe was actually written by the apostles themselves. Okay, so, like, so, all right, so what do these things do? It keeps people, when they interpret and they start to stray into error, what does it do? It bounces them back into the correct direction. No, 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 no. That's not what we believe. Whoop. Does that make sense? And this is how the church functions for 2,000 years. All right? This is what would happen. So one of the oldest creeds we have is what's known as the Apostles' Creed. Now, let me read to you the Apostles' Creed. It's pretty short. Some of you, in, uh, especially like in you know, more traditional churches, like, this was like, you would memorize this, right? Like Psalm 23, John 3, 16, and the Apostles' Creed, right? You memorize this. So, I believe in God, that's good, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. Catholic means universal, by the way, okay? Not the Roman Catholic Church, but the universal church, right? All right, uh, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting, amen, okay? Sounds pretty good. However, this creed was not extremely explicit or clear on the divine nature of Jesus, that Jesus is fully God, which led to a heresy known as the Arianism heresy. And Arianism claimed that Jesus was not fully God, which is another prominent teaching today, that Jesus was not fully God. So this led to the Council of Nicaea and the Nicene Creed that explains Jesus in this way. So remember that section that talked about Jesus? Now what they did was they went back to that previous creed and they further clarified what they believe about Jesus. Now listen to how they explain Jesus. 
And in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. He was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. So I would say that that clarifies that, right? And here's the thing. All of this is in the Bible. Nothing I said is anything outside of the Bible. Why? Because the creeds are based on the teachings of the Bible. And what do they do? They just keep their bumpers. How many of you have gone bowling? Some, some of you went bowling today, I think. Right? Uh, I think I saw in your Instagram story, right? But, right? So, like, when you go bowling, now some of you, maybe, like, if you're me, I have too much pride for this. But you have the bumpers, right, that come up. Now, here's what you have, right? Now, if you go to airport bowling lanes, there's one lane that if you gutter on the right side, it pops up at the end and it knocks the pin over. It's a go-to every time you could cheat. You just got to figure out what lane it is. All right. Anyway, uh, that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. Uh, but you have these bumpers. What happens? If you go off the lane, what happens? Gutter ball, zero points. But if you have the bumpers, what does it do? As soon as you're going for a gutter ball, ping, 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 what does it do? It makes it almost impossible to mess up. And what we have today is we have a lot of people claiming to be Christians, but they have no bumpers, no understanding of the Bible, no understanding of church history. And what happens is they're going all over the place. There's nothing to correct them. And what happens is when you have younger Christians who don't know church history, who don't know the Bible as well, and they get confronted with these beliefs, they start to fall apart. And they start to ask questions where there are easy answers to, but they don't know these answers, and they're terrified to ask because people tell them, oh, you just got to have faith. Boy, if there's answers, then give them answers. We have so many young people who are scared to death to ask questions. Look, ask questions, because I guarantee you the answers are in here. If you just spend some time and looking for it. Hi. Right, anyway. So that kind of clarifies the issue of Jesus, right? Well, fast forward. Now the Roman Catholic Church becomes a thing, right? This is, uh, um, what's his name uh, that made Christianity the official religion of Rome? Constantine, boom, right? Constantine, Roman emperor, right, makes Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. And over the years, what happens is the Roman church becomes corrupt, and the church itself starts to stray into heresy. So what happens? In 1517, this is a good date for you to remember, October 31st, all right? So every Halloween, you could say Happy Reformation Day, all right? All right, in 1517, a monk named Martin Luther took the 99 Theses and, and Pounded it to the door. He nailed it to the door of the Catholic Church. I can't remember what the name of the church was, but nailed it to it. Basically said everything wrong with the Catholic Church, which is a bold move. And what happened is in 1517, that led to the Protestant Reformation. And what is the Protestant Reformation? These are the main points of the Protestant Reformation. Okay? We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, according to Scripture alone. 
That is the basis of the Reformation. So what happened from there? Well, the Roman Catholic Church got together for a council. Because in their mind, that's heresy. Even though it's biblical, the church had become so corrupt at this point, literally, on the, if you go in, medi- in medieval Roman Catholicism, on the inside of the Bible, it would say that it is a sin to read this book outside the presence of a priest. So you had a bunch of people who didn't know what the Bible meant. And they couldn't read anyway. Right? So what happened is it became really, really corrupt. So what happened is when someone has biblical points of this is what the church is supposed to be, the Catholic Church got together for a council called the Council of Trent. Is everybody with me? This is very, 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 very important. Some of you are like, what does that have to do with progressive Christianity? I'm getting there. They get together for something called the Council of Trent. And the Catholic uh, Church addresses the heresy of Protestantism by condemning certain things. Now, these are still the official teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. They have never been rescinded. And according to the Roman Catholic Church, there's three sources of authority, and one of those is the Pope. Right? So basically, what happens at these councils, according to the Pope, is equal to Scripture. All right? Now, these are the things that came out of the Council of Trent, one of, three of them. These are direct quotes. If anyone says that a sinner is justified by faith alone, meaning that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to obtain the grace of justification, justification basically to, made, to made, be, be made right with God, and that is in not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the action of his own will, let him be anathema. What that means is let him be damned. So if anyone says that they're saved by by faith alone, let them be damned. Ephesians 2. What does it say? It says, for you are saved by grace through faith. It is not of your own doing, but is a gift of God. Okay. So, like, literally against the Bible, but we'll get to that anyway. All right? All right, next point. If anyone says that the sacraments of the new law are not necessary for salvation, but are, they, but are superfluous, or they're meaningless, right? And that without them or without the desire of them, men obtain from God through faith alone the grace of justification, though all are not necessary for each one, let him be anathema, or let him be damned. Another thing. The church affirms, listen to this, the church affirms that for believers, the sacraments of the new covenant, baptism, confirmation, Eucharist, penance, anointing of the sick, holy orders, and matrimony are necessary for salvation. Now, these have never been rescinded by the Catholic Church and are the official teachings of the Catholic Church. Why do I say this? They clarify their point. Now, obviously, that's not biblical, and it's kind of a big deal. That's salvational. And from there, you have the Protestant faith that has split into different denominations. Now, a lot of these denominations are based on small differences. Like the difference between a Baptist and a Presbyterian really isn't that big. Usually, it just has to do with the role of baptism. Baptists believe that baptism is something that a mature Christian does after they have willingly decided to follow Christ, they get baptized afterwards. Presbyterians believe a little bit differently. But here's the thing. It doesn't mean that they're not Christians. This isn't like a huge doctrinal issue. It just means, all right, like, we'll act differently in our church. You act differently in yours. 
So Methodism, Baptist, uh, Presbyterians, Assemblies of God, right? Like a lot of these, you know, they're, they're small differences. But it's not like, you know, you know, woo and woo. No, it's just like, eh, right? Like, eh, right? It's just a little difference. So when people, like, people say, oh, Christianity is not true because there's all these denominations. Really, tell me the difference between them. No, no, like really, tell me what's the difference between all the denominations. Right, what? Because they don't know. They don't know. They just heard someone else say it. So they're like, oh, that sounds good. So I'll take it. Right? So all, now all these denominations, they kind of, you know, they kind of split on very small things. And within these denominations, these denominations have their own creeds that they come up with. So if you're interested, the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 is what we believe at Central. It's like, and if you've ever gone to Discover Central, it's in your Discover Central packet, even though no one reads it, right? But the Baptist Faith and Message, that's what we believe. Now, and you can look it up online. It's pretty easy, okay? Now, some of you are like, why did you tell me all of that? Like, what's with the history lesson, Mike? Like, man, like, what in the world? Like, who cares, right? And here's why I'm telling you all this. Because there's two things that you're going to hear from progressive Christians. And the funny thing is they contradict themselves, but just listen to me. You're going to hear one of these two things. First thing you're going to hear, they're going to make a bold claim that particular Christian teachings have not always been taught that way and that they were later added to different translations of the Bible much later by people who had agendas. This is an approach that progressive Christians take to the topic of homosexuality. They say that the word uh, homosexuality uh, was not added until like an 1840-something translation of the Bible in German, which is not true, but that's what they say. They also say, uh, they also use this uh, as a way of saying uh, that, that, that it's an argument against sub penal substitutionary atonement. What that means is basically the fact that Jesus died on the cross as a punishment for your sins. That Jesus took your sins upon himself on the cross so that you wouldn't have to. And progressive Christians would say that that's not true. That's, not a, te that's a teaching that is introduced uh, later at the Reformation. And it, it only gained popularity around the Reformation. So early Christians didn't believe that, which is not true. But that's what they'll say. So they'll say, well, what you believe is not, like, that's not what Christians have always believed. And so why did I tell you what I told you? Because what I'm telling you is that true Christianity, the Christianity of today, has been true Christianity for 2,000 years. It has not changed. Right? It, it has not changed. It has been biblical Christianity for 2,000 years. Now, you may have people who go off and do crazy things. And that's why the church clarifies their position on things. Another thing that they will say is they'll say that God is loving and that he, that he progresses with the times and so should the church. That you as Christians, that we as Christians, the Bible should change with the times. Yes, that's what the Bible said back then, but things were different back then. Things were different back then. Now, and the response to both of these claims is actually one answer. True 
biblical Christianity, true biblical Christian doctrines have been consistent for 2,000 years, and they have not and do not change. No matter what the culture demands of it. Why do we believe this? Because God does not change, so neither does his word. Malachi 3.6, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O Jacob, you are not consumed. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Could you imagine how terrifying it would be if God did change? Imagine how terrifying it would be if God actually did change. What if God's decrees of how we are saved suddenly changed and we didn't know it? That would be a problem, right? What if God just decided to no longer be good? He's like, you know what? I've been doing this good thing forever. I think I want to change it up. That would be a big problem. Think about it. The one attribute that we appreciate so much in human beings, consistency, is the one attribute that we shame God in the church for having. Think about it. The one thing that you want in friends is what? You want them to be the same when they're with you as they are without you. You want them to be consistent. You want them to be real. You don't want them to be fake with you. You want them to be real and consistent. You don't want them changing on you. And then, well, here's the thing. When we say that about God, that God doesn't change, God is consistent. Oh, well, why not? He should. Or maybe you should not be a hypocrite and understand what you really want. What do you really want? What do these two verses have to do with everything that I've told you? Because if someone comes to you professing Christ, professing to be a Christian, but it does not line up with historical, biblical Christianity, then it is not Christianity. They may say that it is, but it's not. Like if I come to you saying, and I said I'm speaking Spanish, You'd be like, no, you're not. <laughs> like, you may think you are, but that's not Spanish. I could even, what if I even put like a nice Spanish accent to it? No, it's not Spanish, right? So if someone comes to you professing to be a Christian and the things they are teaching you are not historic Christian teachings, maybe they're not Christians. Now, some of you may think that this is a bit of an overreaction. And progressive Christians would probably say, like, you need to slow down. Like, it's not that big of a deal. Like, what's the big deal? I mean, if I don't take the entire Bible as inspired or authoritative, like, what's the big deal? As long as I worship God, I love Jesus, and I love others, and that's all that matters, right? Here's the problem with that line of thinking. A wrong view of the Bible leads to a wrong view of God. And if you worship a God that is not the God of the Bible, then you worship a God that does not exist. And a God that does not exist cannot save you from your sins. Let me say that again. A wrong view of the Bible leads to a wrong view of God. And a wrong view of God leads to you to worship a God that is not the God of the Bible, and a God that is not the God of the Bible does not exist, and a God that does not exist cannot save you. 
You see how one issue leads to another issue that leads to another issue that leads to a massive issue? You see, the problem of rejecting the full authority of Scripture leads to the issue that we are talking about tonight, and that is an incorrect view of who God is. Now, I want to wrap up here in a second, so just hang with me. Progressive Christians will use this statement a lot. And what they do is they, they misconstrue the image of God, and they do it oftentimes with this statement. And we're not doing a closing song, by the way, so you guys you know, don't got to worry about that. They, they, listen to the statement. They say, do you understand Jesus through the Bible, or do you understand the Bible through Jesus? Now, that sounds like, what in the world are you talking about? Now, here's the logic, right? So this is how this is applied. Because they don't see all of the Bible as authoritative, what they do is they have this image of Jesus that's not accurate. So they have this image of Jesus that, that this is Jesus. He is focused on loving and accepting all people regardless of their walks of life. Jesus is 100% accepting. He is non-judgmental. He wants all people to find their truest form of themselves. That's Jesus. That's the Jesus that we believe in. And what happens is when they have this understanding of Jesus, they skew them. They have this understanding of Jesus, and what happens is everything in the Bible that does not line up with that view of Jesus must not be authoritative. So all the instances of God being wrathful and calling out sin as being sin and saying that we need to be forgiven of our sins. No, 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 no. You don't understand because Jesus wouldn't act like that. But what they don't know is that like the Bible says that like Jesus is the one who will judge the living and the dead. Jesus is the ultimate judge. So to say that Jesus doesn't judge, my friend, like, hmm, right? And with this, they say that God cannot be wrathful. What they do is they take these different attributes of God and they put them together and say, ah, see, like, here's Jesus and here's these attributes of God that you're seeing in the Bible and they can't line up. So what they say is, God, you see, the God of the Old Testament is wrathful, but Jesus is loving. And God can't be wrathful and loving. So they try to pin the attributes of God against each other. They try to pin them against each other to say, ah, you know, see, he gotcha. Right? They say they can't both be true at the same time. And there's a teaching in Christianity uh, that used to be a very popular teaching, but it doesn't, people don't talk about it a whole lot anymore. It's something called the simplicity of God. Not to say that God is stupid, but it's God is simple. You don't have to be a genius to understand the Bible. Divine simplicity, this is what it means. God is without parts. See, you and I, are, we're kind of like, we're a combination of different things, right? So, like, it's very easy for me to be loving, right? Or it's very easy for me to be wrathful and angry and hateful, or, you know, wrathful and angry and not be loving at the same time, right? It's very easy for you to do that. It is impossible for God to be wrathful without being loving. Because what the, what the simplicity of God teaches is that God is his attributes. See, you are loving, but God is love. Does that make sense? You are creative. God is the creator. We desire justice. God is justice. You speak truth. God is truth. 
He is his attributes. He is, all of the attributes of God are identical to God's being. They are not parts of him. So here's what we have to understand. When God is wrathful against sin, he is also loving at the same time. How can that be possible? It's because when he is wrathful against sin, it's because he loves his holiness. He loves his holiness. When God disciplines you in your sin or disciplines me in my sin, it's because he loves us enough to not want us to fall and stray away from him. Do you see that? His attributes complement one another. They don't contradict one another. So when someone tries to say, oh, that's not the true God because God wouldn't act that way, it's you don't know God. Because here's the thing, and this is what I'm going to end with. The gospel is primarily concerned with the, here's the first thing you need to understand. If you're going to understand the gospel, if you're going to share the gospel with people, we always start at the wrong area. We start with this idea of, like, you know, like you're a sinner. Okay. But here's the thing. That doesn't mean anything. The gospel starts with understanding who God is. And let me explain that. Because me being a sinner isn't that big of a deal if God was like me. If God's not holy, then it doesn't matter if I'm a sinner or not. Why is me being a sinner such a big deal? It's because God is holy. See, we have to understand who God is. And once you understand who God is, then we have to look at ourselves and realize, oh, I don't measure up. I don't measure up. Okay, well, that's a problem. But here's the thing. That's okay. Here's God. Here's you. But let me tell you what he did for you. Because God is good and you are not, and your not goodness, right, deserves the wrath of God, what did he do? He came down in the form of his son, Jesus, Fully God, fully man, took the sins of the world, took your sins and mine, every sin you've ever committed, every sin you ever will commit, took them upon himself, took God's wrath for your sins and for mine upon himself, died, rose again three days later to declare victory over sin, victory over death, ascended to the Father. And you and I, when we place our faith in the finished work of Jesus, we have a right relationship with God. We're forgiven of our sins. We stand before God as righteous and perfect and holy and loved. We are his child. Where does that start? It starts with knowing who God is. Because an improper view of God leads to an improper view of everything else. And one thing we know about God is God does not change. If he said it in the Bible, he's still saying it today. Does this make sense? See, Christianity does not change. What has always been sin will always be sin. God does not change. Here's the thing. You, that should make you happy that God does not change. God doesn't change. I'll give you another example. My mom, not recently, but a while ago, she had COVID. And part of what happened with COVID is that, like, you know, it messes with your taste buds and stuff like that. So my mom used to love Reese cups. She used to love Reese Cups. And after COVID, I was like, you know what? She's feeling better. I'm going to be a loving son. I'm going to take my mom some Reese Cups. 
right? So I get like those massive king-size Reese cups. I'm just like, yo, I'm, I'm like strolling into the house. Like, yo, I am a good son. And I give my mom these Reese cups. And I'm like, brap, try on them bad boys, right? Like, you're going to like that. And she lovingly told me that after having COVID, she doesn't really like Reese cups anymore. And I'm like, okay. And I will, I'll take those back then, I guess, you know, right? And, and then it's, it's weird because she likes them again now. I don't understand. But here's the thing, right, is that like, I had this whole idea of how I was going to make my mom happy. I had this whole plan of how I was going to make my mom happy based on what she has proclaimed to me makes her happy in the past. And I had this whole plan, and I was disappointed. Why? Because she changed. Like, that's not like... Think about that in your worship of God. How you worship God. Be happy that God wants the same thing from you today as he wanted from you yesterday. If you want to know how am I going to worship God with my life 30 years from now, Lord willing, you want to know how you can do it? The same way you do it today. He doesn't change. He doesn't change. When someone comes to you preaching a gospel that is different than what he gave to us through his word, it's not true. And how you understand this is by understanding the Bible and understanding church history. That what I'm teaching you is no different than what was taught in churches 2,000 years ago. So be careful of people who say that they have this new version of Christianity that you got to try out. And don't be deceived by crappy arguments. Here's what I have to say. If you are maybe confused, someone says something to you, it's like, man, I don't know how to answer that. Here's the thing. Don't be ashamed of that. Ask somebody. Ask me. You can ask me. Y'all, if you have my phone number, text me. If you have me on Instagram, like, send me a a message. Like, whatever. Right? Like, Like, I will answer you. And if I don't answer you immediately, I'll get to you. Like, don't be ashamed. It's good to ask questions. It's good to search. It's good to study. But when you find those answers, whether they agree with you or not, don't be ashamed of them. Stand on them. Does that make sense? Cool. Now that you've had, you know, church history 101, and I'm sure you're all like, ooh, that was so much fun.